Hey guys, before we get started today, wanted to remind you to check out ESPN's Debatable. It's a digital exclusive series across ESPN's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, on the ESPN app, and it's available as a podcast. Uh, this innovative series is a rotating team of signature voices, including, well, me, uh, Pablo, Bill Barnwell, and I were on Monday talking about Tom Brady unretiring. Anyways, check out Debatable wherever you listen to your podcast. Comes out every weekday. Also, as your mock drafts are flying on the sh- off of the shelves uh, and we begin to prepare for the NFL draft, check out the First Draft Podcast with ESPN experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and our beloved Field Yates. Twice a week, every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your pods. Welcome back to the Mina Show featuring Lenny. The only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks free agency means you get to go off leash at the dog park. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. And I am uh, delighted to be joined today on after a just outrageously busy week of NFL news that continues to go on and on with free agency uh, by my friend Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders. Aaron, thanks for coming back. Hey, it's good to be here, and I don't think any big stories broke in the last 60 seconds. So I want to note uh, to our listeners, uh, we are taping on Tuesday, March 15th, and it is currently 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, so uh, don't yell at me if anything happens before this podcast comes out. I will be um, wrapping up free agency next week with uh, Patrick Claiborne. So we'll be doing the, yeah, you know, often, there's still a ton of really big name free agents out there, which we'll kind of hit on. A lot of big deals, probably better bargain deals will be signed after this week. But the first wave came in, as well as a bunch of big trades that I want to hit on. I mean, it's just been like a crazy week of NFL news. And I feel like, Aaron, we should just start by talking about what would have been, I think, like an overwhelming news story, if not for free agency. And that is Tom Brady announcing that he is unretiring, um, pulling a Jay-Z. Uh, so this is actually, I, I think like there's not really much to talk about with regards to Brady himself, who we last saw continuing to play football at a very high level, um, which is why actually his retirement was kind of more surprising than his unretirement. But it does make a big impact on free agency for the Bucks because it completely changes their timeline back to win now. And I think it's affected all of their deals and how they've approached this period. Yeah, I will embarrassingly say that I fell for the okie doke. I I thought Brady was serious. I thought he was really retiring. Uh, But he came back soon enough that it doesn't matter. The offseason, you know, my feeling was he's not going to come back in August because he will not have done all of his offseason work. Well, he unretired soon enough that it doesn't matter and he'll do all of his offseason work. Uh, And Ryan Jensen apparently re-signed with the Bucs specifically because Brady had decided to come back. So it has already affected things, although they've lost people. I mean, they lost uh, Jordan Whitehead. Uh, and uh, they lost uh, Alex Kappa, and uh, Ali Marpet is not going to unretire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so th- I think there's still what well, they they've also managed to bring back Carlton Davis at a pretty nice deal, by the way, for them, yeah. which I think again is probably influenced by Tom Brady. Uh, we'll talk about Davis later, but yeah, there's still some holes on this roster. But now with you know the ability to bring back a fair amount of these players, I think like the holes can be more specifically addressed in the draft. Um, And then again, in the second wave of free agency, but yeah, I mean, immediately like vaults the bucks back to the top of the, a very bad division. Um, 
And yeah, it's kind of so. So I should have mentioned, by the way, we're going to kind of go through this position group by position group, talking about some of the biggest deals so far. Um, I also wanted to. This isn't. Um, <laughs> it's not a signing, but I didn't get to talk about Carson Wentz going to Washington last week because it broke after we recorded. And I do want to ask you, um, why? <laughs> like I, 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 so just to re- remind people, uh, Washington traded their swap second round pick. So Washington basically traded two thirds, and one of those thirds can turn into a second if Wentz plays seventy percent of plays, which is like what he did last year. But notably, they take on his twenty eight million dollar cap hit this year. And I think when I say why, that's what confuses me because the buck, the probably the Colts basically told the world. They wanted to get rid of him. And I just question what the market was for Carson Wentz and who they were bidding against. I feel the same way. Listen, statistically, as far as his performance on the field last year, he was a very average NFL starter. And that's a good thing to have. But there's more to the world than just what you do on the field. And the Colts basically announced to the world this guy was a massive locker room problem. And that's two teams that this has happened with. So why the Washington commanders wanted to take that on in their locker room and deal with, you know, whatever Wentz's issues are with, with leadership and with the difficulty to take criticism and all the other things he's, he's been uh, criticized for when no one, no other team in the NFL. I mean, unless there was some sort of secret, a bidding war for Wentz that we don't know about. I don't think any other team in the NFL was taking this on. So I'm totally surprised. The fact that, I mean, there was some debate last week about whether we should praise Chris Ballard because he kind of committed the original sin of the first trade. But I do think it's amazing that he was able to get two thirds out of this and get those. I, I thought they would have to eat some of that to move him. So I'm just pretty shocked by it. Of course, it leaves the Colts in a position now where they do need a quarterback. Um, they were down a draft pick after they was a trade. Now they've got a little bit more ammunition, uh, you know, third rounder this year. They swapped the, the picks. Then uh, the other third rounder that can convert, I believe, is a 2023 one. Um, the Colts reportedly and somewhat comically put in a call for Deshaun Watson. This feels like a good time to pause and um, let you guys know, not talking Watson. Right now, it's just all supposition, right, about the trade. Uh, I imagine it's going to happen, if not while we're recording, sometimes between now and next week's pod. I will address the trade then. I am going to interview Jenny Vrentis at the New York Times at the end of this episode about the Watson case, how we got here, what it means going forward for the team, the fan base that acquires him. So just putting a pin in that. But back to the Colts, Aaron, I, I feels like Jimmy Garoppolo, right? I mean, I, yeah. I, I see them going veteran and... You know, the remaining quarterbacks are Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Dalton, Cam. I guess they could trade for Minshew. It just, Garoppolo just feels like inevitable to me. Yeah, I don't think that um, – I don't think Jameis Winston is Frank Reich's type of quarterback. He's definitely yeah. the best guy available in free agency. All the talk is that the Colts are the sort of leaders – for the Garoppolo sweepstakes. Uh, I'm surprised that that trade hasn't happened yet. Um, but I mean, that would seem to be a good fit with Frank Reich's style. Yes. And, um, you know, given that, I mean, I'm, 
I'm on team. The Tennessee Titans are not as good as their record was last year. The Colts with Jimmy Garoppolo are, you know, a pretty good candidate to win a division. So if they can make that trade happen, if they're going to go with Sam Ellinger, I'm not on the Indianapolis Colts bandwagon. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so we're going to talk a lot about the Jacksonville Jaguars over the next mm-hmm. hour or so, um, because they, I think Robert Mays put it best. Trent Baalke approached free agency like a kid on um, the Toys R Us toy run. Um, they made a lot of changes. I think that are we can question the value, but certainly make them more interesting. But I agree. The Colts with Jimmy Garoppolo, with the current state of things, state of that roster, um, is definitely a solid roster, solid team. Um, speaking of solid, so I... When the, when the news broke that Steelers were signing Mitchell Trubisky, I felt like I had to... Th- okay, so let me, let me... This is coming off of a week in Indianapolis where the talk of the Combine was what a hot prospect Mitchell Trubisky was. It was like a year away from football, elevated his value. It was like watching a sleeper cell get activated. Um, we are talking about a quarterback who, in Chicago... Since being drafted in 2017 through now, ranks 42nd in off-target percentage, or on-target, I guess, percentage, 42nd meaning he's bad, uh, 43rd in yards per dropback, 33rd in passive, whatever. He was not good. Um, I think there's been some retconning of, like, blaming the system. And, you know, there's definitely points where I think he could have had better weapons, better line play, better usage of his athleticism. But I found the hype to be kind of stunning. So then he signs with Pittsburgh. And then the contract comes in and it's two years and $14 million. So I was like, oh, actually, that that's fine. <laughs> that's actually fine. Yeah, he's I don't remember who said this on Twitter, but um, he basically is playing the Mike Glennon role that Mike Glennon played for him. Oh, like yeah. it's very likely that Pittsburgh will draft a quarterback and Trubisky is the holdover bridge quarterback to the youngster since we everyone seems to agree that none of this year's rookies are ready to play right away. So um, he, this is not like we're handing our franchise to Mitchell Trubisky. And I think that it, it may turn out that some of the talk about Mitchell Trubisky from the combine was a little overstated. Yes. Yes, I think so. Uh, clearly based on the financial, uh, value. I think if I was a Steelers fan, I would really hope they take a, I, I understand it's a bad draft class. We're obviously going to spend a lot of time talking about that over the next month. I would hope they still take a flyer on someone at, uh, 20, or maybe even later if there's a quarterback available just to have some like an investment at the position moving forward and not just to totally look at this as a bridge year. Um, but this is fine. It's totally fine. Like the contract is fine. Honestly, he's probably going to play better than Ben did last year. So I think he's better than Mason Rudolph personally. So yeah, I I'm totally fine with this rare. I think everybody agrees that he is better than Mason Rudolph. <laughs> Trubisky positivity from from your girl. Um, the the final thing I want to talk about uh, quarterback wise. Well, oh, I, we should know Teddy Bridgewater one year Miami six point five million dollars. Great, um, fine. Honestly, I could see him uh, starting some games there. Depending, I mean, we'll see how that goes. Uh, very much the uh, it. Tua fans will get mad if I say he's like Tua, but like there's certainly a lot of undeniable similarities there. Uh, but the quarterback I actually do want to talk about, because I think this is a really interesting move, was the last one. Minnesota 
giving Kirk Cousins a $35 million extension. So he's now going to make $40 million this year. And his cap hit got lowered this year to $31 million. Um, and then he's going to make $30 million next. But that's, again, that's not his cap hit. I think the cap, yeah, the cap hit in 2023 is $36.25 million. Um, so basically Minnesota, Aaron, I feel like they were in a position where they had two choices. Arif and I, Arif Hassan and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. You either have to extend Kirk Cousins to get under the cap or you have to trade him. I think how you view this decision sort of centers on whether or not you think the Vikings this year have a competitive roster. Because if you don't think so, then they should have traded him. And there's, by the way, a lot of noise that they did get some offers. Maybe they would have had to eat some of that contract. It would have been a $35 million cap hit on another team. Clearly, this to me signifies that either they didn't like the trade offers or that they think their roster is fairly competitive. Where do you come down on both of those sides? Yeah, we we have some debates about this in the football outsiders world. Mike Tanier is always on team. You know, the Vikings are never going to be better than nine and eight. Mm. And I tend to, th- tend to think that there is, you know, some talent on this team, certainly, you know, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and, and um, Do- Dalvin Cook, you know, the offense has got lots of nice pieces and, and there are some good defensive pieces. Um, but I don't see them. The problem is, I mean, it really does feel like their peak is a wild card. Like they're not going to compete with Green Bay to win the division unless there's some mm. major injuries in Green Bay. And heck, last year there were some major injuries in Green Bay and they still didn't compete with Green Bay to win the division. So, um, with that in mind, I think rebuilding, it's time It's time to rebuild in Minnesota. And I would have thought that the new GM sort of signified that it, we were going to, you know, sort of they were going to start over and, and, and look towards the future and apparently not. Kirk Cousins is so interesting. I can't think of a quarterback with a bigger gap between what stats say yeah. about him and what scouts say about him. And even a stat that's essentially based on scouting, which is the pro football focus grades, hmm. which are really scouting in number form, have him as a top 10 quarterback. And any advanced metric that you do has him as a top 10 quarterback. And yet, you know, you talk to people who are film watchers and they're like, yeah, this guy's just at best average and probably worse than that. Well, I don't think he's worse than average, but at, by any means. But I do think he is an interesting case study for how it is hard to capture the totality of quarterback play with statistics alone, you know, because his weaknesses, um, the sort of ability to create outside of structure, the seemingly coming up short in big moments, they're obvious, they're real. Um, I do think I'll make an optimist case for the Vikings. Uh, the contract is very tradable next year. Although Kirk Cousins is having no trade costs and he somehow got into it. For Kirk Cousins, by the way, round of applause for the all-time NFL finesse king. Just incredible what he has accomplished financially and how much he's earned and the fact that, I mean, just such a case study for playing out the tag. So, you know, good job, Kirk. But anyways, so he does have no, no trade costs next year, but the contract is much more, it's very tradable in 2023. And I think, you know, this is a chance to play in Minnesota before he has with an offensive head coach. And so you could imagine a universe in which he is a more attractive trade target, candidly, in 2023. So if you see it that way, I think 
you can even argue that even if Minnesota isn't as good as they think they are, this could potentially bolster his value for next year. But yeah, but then they're taking an extra year to rebuild. Then it's like, oh, this year they go eight and nine or nine and eight. And then in 2023, they take a step back. And it's like, how many years do you want to take before you are taking that step forward? Yeah, it's. I, you know, it does, the counter to that is the counter to that is who were they going to replace him with? Well, right? yeah. So this I think that a good the, rookie class. That optimistic case would be like, oh, but maybe if we trade him, we can get like a first in twenty twenty three. We can actually get someone we like. So I don't know. We'll see. It's an interesting decision. I think you can definitely see both sides of it, um, and it's hard to evaluate without knowing what the trade offers were. Um, I'll talk about wide receiver next. So. <laughs> Feel like we got to start by talking about the contract that really shook up the internet yesterday. Uh, I am speaking, of course, of Jacksonville signing Christian Kirk for four years, up to eighty-four million, actually seventy-two, thirty-seven million guaranteed, or probably thirty-nine. In either case, I understand this is a contract where, like, you know, it was a lot of fake numbers. However, even with the guarantees. That's still nearly $20 million a year for Christian Kirk. I don't think anyone valued him there. Let me know if you disagree. No, I mean, it shook the internet in part because that 84 number came out before the 72 number. And then people were like, actually, it's 72 plus some incentives. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Christian Kirk had an excellent season last year. He was in the top 10 of receivers in both our DVOA and DYAR stats. That's for total value and for value per play. But he had never been higher than 49th in either stat in his first three seasons. So, I mean, there's reason to believe that perhaps last year was some kind of breakout, but there's also reason to believe that perhaps last year was a little fluky. And DJ Chark has never ranked that high in our stats, but I think everybody agrees DJ Chark has a ton of talent. Are they really that much better off with Christian Kirk instead of DJ Chark? Um, yeah. They're certainly paying him a lot more money than uh, Detroit is going to pay DJ Chark. One year at $13 million. And I think that's what, you know, DJ Chark, you look at and you're like, okay, that's a true X potentially, right? Uh, some injuries and inconsistencies. But yeah, I think it's really hard to stomach the comparison, Christian Kirk, I, I love what Christian Kirk could potentially bring to this offense. I think he is one of the better slot receivers in the NFL. He gives them a deep threat. Um, he's a reliable pass catcher. That, it, But it just feels like the value is out of whack. And then you pair it with the fact that they also signed Zay Jones on a three-year, $24 million deal. And it just kind of feels like, okay, like I, you had all this money and you – added some okay players but like was this the move you know i it like right it, it just it, doesn't it, excite it, you as a you in, in whole at jacksonville in total right not going yes. position by position but talking about the whole team okay brandon scherf is a close to if not actually all pro guard yes. so no complaints otherwise it feels like a lot of like maybe like slim improvements for a lot of money. of money. Yeah. Like going from Shark to Kirk might be a little bit of an improvement, but they spent a ton of money to get that. And going from Miles Jack to uh, Foyasad Olokan, whose name I'm probably mispronouncing, might be a little bit of an improvement. But, you know, Olokan is not a, he's not Darius Leonard. Yes. They're paying he has a lot of money. Because he's cleaning up the terrible yes. Atlanta Falcons defense. Yes. He's not, he's not like out there like, 
making these these highlight reel plays all the time? Is it that much of an improvement on Miles Jack, who they cut to make room for him? Like Jacksonville did a lot of what feels like running in place. It also feels like the classic trope of the terrible team having to overpay guys in free agency, which I've never really like bought into. But I think also the fact that it's Trent Balky is really like no one trusts any of this. I mean, right. Or more talking about a GM who the whole fan base has completely revolted against. So I don't know, man. I think they've done things that will help Trevor Lawrence. I love, I mean, the sheriff signing, there are obviously some concerns about injury there, but he's an actual star at the position. Um, and it was a very important need for them. But like tagging Cam Robinson. Um, we should also note they signed Evan Ingram. Clearly, you know, Doug Peterson wants to use more 12 personnel, I imagine. They've also got Dan Arnold. I, it just... Nothing really like uh, outside of the sheriff signing. It just doesn't have to like super sexy. And this is a team again that had so much money coming into this and just like spent it all so quickly. Um, I do want to kind of go from the Kirk thing back to a trade that I get to talk about last week, which was uh, Dallas trading Amari Cooper to the Browns, um, basically offloading his contract. They get like a fifth or something. But um, we'll talk about Dallas in a second. The Kirk deal to me made this this look better for the Browns because um, I understand that Armari Cooper has been inconsistent at times for Dallas, but I do think he is one of, he's like a, a true number one when he's playing well. Um, and this contract, which is, yet to, yes, it's $20 million this year, is entirely flexible after that. They can move on if they want for basically a, a negligible draft pick. So I understand that, like, you know, their, their initial reaction was like, oh, Amari Cooper, really? A contract? But I think once we've seen where some of these wide receiver contracts have come in, well, notably the Kirk one, uh, it doesn't bother me as much. I know some of the talk was if Baker Mayfield couldn't work with Odell Beckham, how is he going to work with Amari Cooper? Right. You know, I don't know how much of what's up with Beckham has to do with playing style and how much has to do with things behind the scenes that we don't know about. Um but I mean, I, you know, Cleveland absolutely needed a number one wide receiver. And this is one, this is a number one wide receiver. He's never, he's only has one year in the top 10 of our stats, but he's in the top 25 pretty much every year. And, you know, he gets plenty of attention from the opposing team that frees things up for the other receivers. So, I mean, I thought it was a good deal for Cleveland. And, you know, on the other side of that, Michael Gallup was, or pardon me, the Cowboys were able to retain Michael Gallup, but Five years, $62.5 million, so coming in at that kind of number two wide receiver salary. Um, you know, I think CeeDee Lamb is now shifts up to the number one. Uh, with Cedric Wilson gone, we'll talk about a second, I, I do think this raises the question now of whether the Cowboys might spend one of their early draft picks on a wide receiver. But I like Michael Gallup. I know he tore his ACL, should be able to come back from that with no problem. Um, you know, before he got injured, he was the Cowboys leader in targets. He's, uh, I think a really nice complimentary piece to lamb. I like the way they play together. And I think they're, you know, just the continuity there will be good for that offense. I just feel like in the modern NFL, you go three wide so heavily. You really want to have, if you can have three really good wide receivers, you want to have three and Dallas now doesn't, they did. And now yeah. they have two and they don't even have two really good ones and an okay one. They've got two really good ones and a big space. I thought they were going to be able to keep Cedric Wilson. I think this is a sneaky big loss. He goes to Miami three years, $23 million, so cheaper than both of them. Um, 
I, I really like his upside. He's only 26 years old, uh, mostly in the slot, has a ton of speed, um, has a great arm. But I, I, I think like I, I really like this signing for Miami at that value, which is, I guess, under $8 million a year. And I think like the combination of him and Jalen Waddle is going to be a really fun one. Yeah, uh, I wish Will Fuller had ever played. Yeah. Like, well, that's I, right. This is like what well, he could atten- ostensibly fill that role. Yeah. Right? I Stretching mean, the field, I, yeah. Is Will Ful- I'm not even sure if Will Fuller is a free agent again or is he still the property of the Dolphins, but it just, just never happens for that guy. It is. Um, uh, another early de- signing, by the way, speaking of rich contracts, the uh, Chargers signed Mike Williams. Three years, $60 million, $40 million fully guaranteed, which is what stunned me, candidly. Um, I think this is one where, like, they might value Mike Williams more than the rest of the world and, like, what he does for Justin Herbert. Um, I also think I wouldn't be surprised if, given some of the other Chargers signings, which we'll talk about later, uh, they add another wide receiver early on in the draft, um, like more of a speed guy to pair with Williams and Keenan Allen. Although they do have uh, Jalen Guyton still. True. And Josh Palmer, who was a rookie last year. Yeah, I, I thought they would feature him more, actually, because I really liked him as a prospect. So um, the Chargers are like, they had a lot of money, and but unlike the Jags, they signed a bunch of really good players. So uh, and traded for, yeah, and traded for. So we'll talk about uh, the the Mac trade later on. Um, so you mentioned already DJ Chark on a very team friendly deal to the Lions. I really liked that. So the remaining wide receivers at this moment: Allen Robinson, Juju Smith Schuster, Jarvis Landry, who was cut by Cleveland. Seems like a potential New England signing. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. OBJ. Jameson Crowder, T.Y. Hilton, Emmanuel Sanders, Sammy Watkins. The thing about Jarvis Landry is he fits what the Patriots like to have, but how many of those guys can they have? Right. Yeah. Right? Like, like, do you feel like we, they need a, a big, like, true number one type? Hey, do we need to spend a lot of money for a better Jacoby Myers right. when we're paying not that much money for the actual Jacoby Myers? Um, yeah. Right? I Yes, I'm, I'm on team, oh, my God, please get the Patriots an ex-receiver but I mean, I think I think that with other moves that have happened, they need defensive pieces more than they may need that. I agree. I mean, that's secondary. Whew! Really, suddenly, the corners just such a massive gaping hole for them right now. Uh, we'll get to the cornerbacks at the end. Uh, really quick on the tight ends. Don't want to spend too much time on these. The Jets sign. Actually, you can always kind of look at these together. I mentioned Jacksonville signing Evan Ingram. The Jets signing C.J. Uzama. Uh, the Ingram deal is just one year, nine million. CJ Uzama, three years, twenty-four million. This feels like both teams just kind of giving their young quarterbacks safety blankets, and I, you know, I don't hate it for either of them. Yeah, Ingram's always done lousy in our stats. Uh, you know, some of that has to do with the quarterbacks he's playing with, but he, um, you know, he drops a lot of balls, and he he's never quite lived up to the potential. Uzuma is just an average starting tight end. Um, but that's a big upgrade on what the Jets had at the position before him, and he's known to be a really good locker room guy. So God, I like that yeah. signing. Jets have really struggled at tight end for a while. I remember when the uh, Chris Herndon hype was there. Like, oh, this is. Remember Jason Morrow? Yes, I do. Um, 
Yeah, that's been an issue for them for a while. Uh, tight end signing that, regrettably, I do just befuddles me. Seattle, dis- Will Disley, three years, $24 million. So as part of the Russell Wilson trade, they got Noah Fant. I understand them wanting a second tight end, but this I, Disley's been okay. He's been had some injuries. I just don't understand how you can let, D, let DJ Reed, who we'll talk about the cornerback, walk out the door $11 million a year and sign Disley $8 million a year. I think the, the, the guarantees are a little bit lower than twenty four, but I just didn't like this for them at all. Yeah, I don't think you spend that much on your second tight end. And, uh, you know, hey, the Patriots spent all that money on two tight ends last year, and we thought they were going to go two tight end all the time, hmm. and they didn't. And then Seattle doesn't go too tight end that much either. So why would you spend all that money on your second tight end? Maybe they want to go too tight end more. <laughs> well, that's what we thought uh, yeah. about the Patriots and it didn't happen. Yeah. So. You know, so Shane Waldron, um, you know, with the Rams, there was points where obviously we think of them as an 11 team. There were points where they used two tight ends more often. Um, I think it's so hard to anticipate what the Seattle offense is going to look like without knowing who's starting a quarterback for them. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Didn't like it. Uh, finally, the Cardinals uh, bring back Zach Ertz. Three years, $31.65 million. Fine. I, fine sure. is kind of where I come in at that. So the remaining tight ends are Gronkowski, who one assumes if he comes back, will sign some kind of cheap deal with Tampa. Robert Tunyon, sneaky, interesting name. Um, Gerald Everett, last of the Seahawks. Jared Cook, O.J. Howard, Eric Ebron, Hayden Hurst. Uh, any of those names do anything for you? Um. I mean, there's some reasonable players in there. I mean, I think Gronk's still good. He, Aiden Hurst uh, has always seemed like a little better than his rep to me. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, they're useful players, but not nobody's going to be breaking the bank or anything. So running backs, the two kind of big early deals were with both Cardinals last year. Um, start with Chase Edmonds, who signed with Miami. Two years, but only six, $12 million, only six guaranteed. Uh, and then James Conner, three years, $21 million, 13 and a half guaranteed. To my eye, the Chase Edmonds deal not looks a lot better, not just because he's cheaper, but I can understand, you know, I thought it would be, I, I was interested in seeing what Mike McDaniel, the new head coach of the Dolphins, were, was going to do at running back because the Niners have such a history of getting value from late draft picks or even undrafted guys. Uh, so I was a little bit surprised to see him acquire a veteran, but then, you know, the price tag, it's really just one year. I think, the run game has been so bad for Miami that I understand him wanting like a fairly versatile option, a guy who can catch passes, who's been um, very effective for Arizona, more effective than James Conner, which makes me surprised that that deal came in where it did. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think if I remember correctly, Edmonds did well last year in the like running yards above expectation type of metrics. That makes sense. Let's see. So, you know, he, He's 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 a good versatile guy. You know, I'm I I'm one of those guys who believes running backs don't really move the needle very much. And I'm guessing that he, you know, Miami's going to use a committee anyway because San Francisco always seems to. So, yeah. um, you know, he's just one A in a committee at, in in Miami. Uh, third in EPA per attempt last year, Chase Edmonds. I, I think they're going to also the pass the pass catching aspect is going to be important to that offense. Um. Only other really like notable running back deal I wanted to mention, J.D. McKissick, who's been sneaky underrated his entire career. Buffalo, two years, $7 million. Just so billsy. Everything the Bills have done has been so billsy. Just kind of like, you know, looking for value around the margins. Um, I like it for them. You know, he's going to be pass catching back, right? Um, third down guy. 
adds a little yeah, that's been missing. I wouldn't be surprised if it means Devin Singletary is the first and second down guy for the most yeah. part. They seem to sour on Zach Moss over the course of the year. So, yeah. So the guys who are left: Melvin Gordon, Cordero Patterson, Sony Michelle, Fournette, and Ronald Jones. One of whom I assume will come back to Tampa. Rashad Penny, which is going to be an interesting one, given how uh, efficient, just extraordinarily productive he was down the stretch. But obviously, that's tempered by the injury history. Um, so I'll be curious to see if Seattle does anything there, given that Chris Carson is still under contract. Um, okay, so finally, offensive line, as far as offense goes. So you already alluded to this, Ryan Jensen, the Bucks center, three years, $39 million, I think a couple void years in there, which expect to see a lot of in Tampa with Brady coming back, trying to fit guys uh, in the mix. Obviously very important to Tom Brady to have that continuity, especially since the guard position now is a bit of a question mark. They were able to keep Aaron Stinney, who has starting experience. That's why I'm going to break some news to you. Oh, boy. Breaking. The guard question is not a question mark now. Okay. Shaq Mason. Shaq Mason to the wow. Bucks from the Patriots for a fifth round pick five minutes bef- uh, five minutes after we started recording. So obviously Tom Brady knows Shaq Mason from his days in New England. Um, yeah, good. I like that for them. So Stronger run blocker than he is a pass blocker, but he is a really good guard. And um, speaking as a Patriots fan, I don't get it. But if I could tell you the number of times over the last 22 years that I've said I don't get it about a Belichick move that has ended up working out, we'd be here all day. So. We'll get to JC Jackson. I really want to hear your thoughts on that because I find that really fascinating. But yeah, that's good for Tampa. They are pretty much, yeah, they're locked and loaded. I mean, makes a lot of sense. I thought the Jensen deal came in under what I would have expected him to get in this just, you know, players take discounts to play with Brady. Apparently Um, the big signing thus far, Brandon Scherf, you alluded to this in Jacksonville, three years, $50 million, 30 guaranteed. Only question is health, right? I mean, he's always been good. Again, he's always been good at in both pass protection and run blocking, but he is 30. Um, He's had some number one, I believe number one in ESPN's run block. Uh, win rate last year checks out um six so that's over 16 million dollars a year which if he's not the highest paid guard he's definitely close to it um yeah my only concern with that is just injuries and age but very good player um so so we 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 talked about alex kappa so i think maybe just talking about the cincinnati signings together alex kappa four years 35 million dollars 11 guaranteed ted karras former patriot Center, which is interesting because I thought they were going to stick with um, Pipkins, right? He's a center. Right? Ho- Hopkins, guard too. They might they might play him at guard. Okay, so uh, Karras, three years, eighteen million dollars. Um, this feels like reasonable prices for decent players. I think there's still a very big question mark at right tackle. There are still some options out there, like Trent Brown, Morgan Moses. I think. This is just the Bengals saying, hey, let's aim for competence. <laughs> I, I would love Trent Brown for them. That would be great. Yeah, that would really like kind of complete the renovation project. You know, I, I was talking about this on NFL Live yesterday. Dan was saying he wanted the Bengals to do what the Chiefs did in the offseason. But neither of these players are Joe Tooney. They're, well, you know, I guess the Patriots experience. But they're not superstars. They're just fine <laughs> but again fine compared to where they were is such a massive upgrade and i think if they were to like get, get, get Tramp brown 
uh, you know, fix that position. We're talking about a pretty significant improvement. Just if they were to put the 16th best offensive line on the field, it would be a big improvement. Exactly. Um, Lake and Tomlinson to the Jets, three years, $41.2 million. Recent, my quite a fair amount of money. Not surprising insofar as, um, you know, the, the, the San Francisco connection. A little bit surprising because he's a left guard. Oliver Tucker, Tucker played left guard. So there's going to be some change there, um, even if schematically with the, you know, Shanahan offense it, and Michael Fleur, it's, an, it's a clear fit. Yeah, Brandon Thorne always talks about there's more to moving at offensive line positions than we tend to think that that it's not it's not as easy as we think it is to move from side to side, but they're going to have to do that with one of these guys. So just uh, Jason Kelsey returns to the Eagles one year, 14 million dollars. Seems like a no brainer. Ben Jones center returns to the Titans two years, 14 million dollars. Again, sensible. The Rams bring back Brian Allen, their center. Three years, $24 million. And then Joe Noteboom, who will play left tackle as the heir apparent to Andrew Whitworth, who retired. Three years, $40 million. I like both of these for them. I feel like the continuity is matter has been important. Joe Noteboom has been, to my eye, a reasonable fill-in. He has a fair amount of starting experience with some of Whitworth's injuries. Um, and, you know, the Rams don't have draft picks. So, yeah, this makes sense to me. For They lost uh, Corbett, the right guard. To Carolina, right? But we will, I believe so, but we'll yeah. finally see, I think they've had this kid, Bobby Evans, for a couple of years yes. and have never been able to really get him into the starting lineup. And, and so yeah. I'm guessing he's, he slides in as the right guard for now, unless they go out and sign somebody since, as you say, they do not have draft picks. Yeah, let me flex my Rams preseason knowledge. Uh, Bobby Evans, not what they'd, I think, hoped for when he was drafted, Um has do, has filled in though, and I think there's hope that he can kind of take the next step, as you said. Uh, just rattling off a bunch of interior offensive linemen. You mentioned Corbett to the Panthers, Glowinski to the Giants, James Daniels to Pittsburgh, um, Connor Williams to Miami. So the remaining kind of big names out there are Teron Armstead, Dwayne Brown, Morgan Moses. We mentioned Trent Brown, Daryl Williams. I think I think the only one really worth talking about is Armstead because. He was arguably the best free agent available. Clearly, the Saints could not afford him. Um, he is, like Brandon Scherf, an actual star, one of the best pass-protecting left tackles in the NFL, some injury concerns. I figured the Colts might be in the mix for him. They've been very quiet so far in free agency. They brought back Mo Ali Cox, I mentioned. They've got but money, and they've, they've got, got money, and it is so the need. It would but, make a lot of sense. Yeah, that, that's the one that jumped out to me. Um, yeah, so I think... That makes a ton of sense. Uh, and, and I'll be curious to see if Seattle brings back Dwayne Brown. I, you know, he's he's old, continues to play at a reasonably high level. We have seen left tackles, you know, play okay into their late 30s. Um, so, but one would think it would be a pretty short-term deal. Yeah, I mean, if some of what the Dwayne Brown sort of is trying to figure out whether is Seattle trying to compete or not. <laughs> so <laughs> unclear. I don't I, – I, I, I think I said this in my pod last week about the Russell Wilson deal. I just feel like we won't know until we see what they do at quarterback, candidly. Like, I can't tell how they perceive themselves right, right. now. And I think if if they don't do anything and it's like Drew Locke or maybe they draft someone, okay, it's like, all right, you know, we're rebuilding. Is it a full rebuild? Is it a short-term rebuild? Is it a reset? I don't know. Seattle remains a mystery. Okay. 
Speaking of mysteries, uh, we will get to J.C. Jackson and all of the other defensive signings and moves after the break. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P dot com slash Mina Show, M I N A S H O W. So, Aaron, um, defensive tackle, interior defensive line, um, a lot of like similar contracts. Like, it clearly, you know, like the there was a market rate. At this point, you like you got BJ Hill going back to the Bengals for three years, $30 million. I think DJ Jones actually signed an identical deal with Denver. Um, both very like underrated stalwarts, you know. Um, BJ Hill, I thought was particularly very good with Cincinnati, not just at stopping the run, but getting interior pressure. And then DJ Jones has quietly been one of the more underrated nose tackles in the NFL. Yeah, DJ Jones is really good. Definitely, I'm a big DJ Jones guy. So Denver, you know, the Denver defense, and we'll talk about their other move in a second. Um, the Denver defense was nowhere near as good as people thought last year. They were third in points allowed because they played a very, very slow style, which led to like a very low number of plays on both sides of the ball. And their defense was second in the league in average starting line of scrimmage. So basically opponents just had far to go and did it slowly and didn't get the ball as much. And so they didn't allow as many points, but their defense was actually really kind of average. Now with the moves they've made in this offseason, I mean, losing Fangio is a hit at yeah. the, you know, to run the defense. But with this, and then we'll talk about Randy Gregory in a second, I think those are really nice upgrades for their defense. Yeah, especially, you know, Ejiro Evero, who's their new defensive coordinator, one imagines is going to run a defense that's not too dissimilar from Fangio's. Um, so coming from that tree, so you know you can see where the signings fit in. DG Jones with Shelby Harris gone, 
clear hole there at nose tackle. Again, very good, very consistent player. Um, I guess, you know, similarly to you're keeping it in the family, um, Sebastian Joseph Day signing with the Chargers. I thought this was really interesting. Three years, $24 million, so a little bit less. Um, you know, what he did in the Rams defense is what I imagine Brandon Staley will want him to do. Uh, obviously, run defense was a massive, massive problem for LA last year. Uh, the Chargers have invested big on defense. We'll talk about some of the other signings. SJD, you, you can very clearly see him filling a hole and as a run-stopping defensive tackle who can play gap and a half. Uh, that, that was just a significant, significant issue for LA last year. And notably, though, um, you know the Chargers are picking at 17. Some speculation they might go after a guy like Jordan Davis. I think the signing suggests that they might go elsewhere, like linebacker, right tackle, or wide receiver, um, because this is three years, $24 million. As the first time I've ever heard of him referred to as SJD. <laughs> Again, the Rams preseason. Pre- it's your Rams preseason. Uh, Get it up it, the Ramley. Um, did you like the signing? Uh, yes, I think that that, I mean, especially given that Staley knows what he can do. And so... Yeah. You know, because you worry sometimes in free agency when a guy is signed by a new team, does that new team really going to know how to use him? Is he really yes. going to fit into their scheme like they think he will? But will he? Mm-hmm. And this, in this case, they they he knows how to use him and he knows he fits into that scheme. Uh, Harrison Phillips to Minnesota, who let Michael Pierce go, going younger, defensive tackle, three years, $19.5 million. Uh, so a little bit sort of on the bargain end. Um, you know, I, I always thought he was pretty stout against the run for Buffalo. You're not going to get too much of a pass rush from him. Larry Ogunjobi, three years, $40.5 million for the Bears. Um, I didn't love this one. I mean, I I see why they, they wanted some with, you know, Hicks gone, so he's available. Ogunjobi is younger. I thought he was very good before he got hurt in Cincinnati. I just had kind of hoped with the Mac trade, which, again, that didn't clear cap space, but... It, well, next year, we'll talk about that in a second. I just really wanted the Bears to go all in on offense this offseason um, and do everything possible to try to put Justin Fields in a better position to succeed. And so far, that just hasn't happened. Yeah, I mean, I like Ogunjobi a lot, though. He's a good player. Um, he's a good player. He also lost Eddie Goldman, I should know, by the way. Yes, they cut Eddie Goldman. Um. Yeah, you know, they're going younger. They're trying to improve up front. I get it. And look, free agency isn't over with the Bears offense. Um, I guess well, before we get to the back trade, a lot of guys still out there. Hicks, Goldman. I don't think Sue has not resigned with Tampa yet, right? Correct. <laughs> or Golston. Uh, Clayus Campbell, Quentin Jefferson, Darius Phylon from the Raiders, unless I missed that. Sheldon Richardson, still a lot of options, uh, defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the Mac trade because I didn't get to this last week either. Um, I love this for the chargers i think it's also a good move for the bears i actually think it's a win-win so from the chargers perspective we've talked about brandon staley just like bringing guys he knows trying to fix that unit which is really underwhelming last year they needed an edge rusher to pair with joey bosa they you know chenna nuosu's a free agent I, I just think there were so many games where it was like just bosa though um yeah. and i also think mac helps SJD uh, in improving their run defense. Mac is very good at run defense. Yes. So I think that's a really underrated aspect of this and also how important it is in the Brandon Staley defense to have uh, rushers who can set the edge, which he's extremely, extremely good at. I also love it, Aaron, because 
after this year, they can move on. It's a, about a $18 million, maybe near 20 this year cap hit. Um, but, you know, they, they traded a second and a six. They have total contract flexibility after this year. So, you know, he's 31. He's had some injuries, but I, th- I think this is actually like pretty low risk for them. Yeah, he's had injuries. He had injuries this year, but I don't think he's been that injured the years before. I think he's been mostly healthy up until yeah. this last season. So, um, I mean, he's still very, very talented. And, you know, the idea of having the pass rusher on either side is you can't really double both of them. No. I mean, and in this division, which is obviously like an arms race, just the steps that they've taken to improve their pass defense. And, you know, because we talk a lot about the run defense and how abysmal it was, but the pass defense wasn't great either. And the edge rush, again, outside of Bosa was super lacking. So I love this for them. I understand it for Chicago. This is a team that just is kind of like rebuilding, frankly. And while getting rid of Mac, you know, they took a cap hit this year and eating a lot of money after this year clears a ton of cap space. They got that second round pick, which I am hoping they'll invest in the offense. I just, I, I, it makes sense for me. Yeah. Hey, listen, a uh, deep class of wide receivers. So yes. that second round pick can come in mighty handy. I hope so. Um, more edge rush deals. You alluded to Randy Gregory. This was weird because he signed a deal with the Cowboys for five years, $70 million and turned around and signed what appeared to be the same deal with the Denver Broncos, but yeah, there's one of these guys every year who changes his mind, and this year it was Gregory. Yeah, and I, we're seeing that there might have been some like financial differences too, like in terms of guarantee. I don't know; we haven't seen the details yet. So clearly, um, there were reasons for him to go to Denver. Um, you know, I, I like this for Denver. They needed an edge rusher. I thought they were going to bring back Von Miller, who maybe now will go to Dallas. But you know, Gregory has been was incredibly productive last year. I think obviously the concern is, is a guy who's been in and out of the league with suspensions or whatever, but really I also think that makes him um, healthier, you know? So, well, uh, I mean, he had injury problems last year. He, what was it? It's just a high risk, high reward thing because yeah. of the suspensions. I mean, he plays at a very high level. Uh, Sports Info Solutions has their total points saved metric for defensive players, which is sort of based off their charting. And they had him leading the league in points saved per snap. So like the most efficient defensive player in the league based on their charting. So when he plays, he is very, very good. But that's the risk. One one thing I like about him too is he had a lot of that production without Demarcus Lawrence, who, by the way, returns to the Cowboys. Um, Guy's done a really good job financially as well uh, in terms of getting guarantees. But you know, even when Lawrence was out, I thought Gregory, it's not like one of those things where he got to play with Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons. I, I think he's shown that he can also, um, you know, win on his own, which is important. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like this for Denver. They needed pass rush. Um, I also liked Hassan Reddick going to Philadelphia, three years, $45 million. Uh, you know, I was thinking, Aaron, about this contract. When, he signed, when Reddick signed with Carolina, a one-year deal, I thought, it was coming off of this, like his best season ever in Arizona. There are some questions about whether or not he might be a one year wonder. I liked it because it was so affordable, but Bill kind of threw some cold water on it at the time. I remember because he said, well, if he's good again, he's going to leave Carolina. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, he was good again. Right. You know? It would have been, been a better one year signing for a good team. Yes, exactly. It didn't make sense. A good year out of Hassan Reddick then rather than Carolina getting a good year. Like the Stefan Gilmore trade. I mean, Carolina is all over the place, but, um, yeah, now we now he's got 
you know, back-to-back years with double-digit sacks. Last year finished eighth in our pass rush win rate metric. Um, I don't think he's like an elite edge rusher, but putting him in Philadelphia where, you know, there's got some aging uh, guys up front like uh, Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, just getting a little bit younger, helping out Josh Sweat. I like this deal for them, and I think it was a pretty reasonable price. Yeah, didn't uh, Seth Walder did a thing where based on like a bunch of next gen stats, he predicted sacks for next year for all the free huh. agent rushers and Reddick was number one. Wow, really? Projected sacks for next year based on based on like his win rate, and his get off and, and all those things. Huh. His get off um, is amazing. That's I think what stands out to me the most watching him. Um Miami brings back Emmanuel Ogba. Four years, $65 million, 32 guaranteed, paying up to pay their guy who is on a very cheap contract, you know, after being with the Browns and the Chiefs, kind of Miami kind of took a flyer on him. He rewarded them back-to-back seasons, very productive. Um, I would say like below Reddick, but fits in very well with that defense. I think this is a little bit of a premium for him, um, but you know, that contract comes in at about, so Reddick was what, 15? This is about 16 and a half, which is comparable to some of the kind of 1B type edge rush deals uh, lately. Um, and, you know, like they're rewarding their guys. So I, I understand why they did it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I would have spent more on Reddick than on Agba, but I, I understand the idea of rewarding your guys. It, it spreads good locker room, uh, Juju. So um, one that I thought, oh, by the way, speaking of rewarding your guys, Charles Harris, who was like just who had a kind of comeback a little bit, total comeback in Detroit, um, played a ton, 16 quarterback hits, seven and a half sack. He came in on a total, like one year. Let's see how this goes. Turns around, has a great season. Detroit gives him two years, $14 million, still very affordable. He's only 27. You know, this is what guy who like didn't live up to his draft status, obviously, but it's cool to see him turn his career around. Cool to see Detroit, keep him in the building. Um, the final player I want to talk about, is the Frank Clark reworking. Uh, So the universal assumption was that Kansas City was going to cut Frank Clark uh, to save a ton of money. Obviously, he has not produced, not obviously, but he has not produced to what they would have hoped. There's been injuries. Uh, So they restructured it. So now it's two years worth up to $36 million. Um, I actually think with the restructure, it kind of makes sense. Um, just because of like what they would have saved. And then, you know, they have to sign someone else. Now they keep him at a much, much lower price. Uh, and, you know, there, there's been times where he has shown up. I didn't love the player for them generally, but this, it, when you actually look at the numbers, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I'm with you on that. He does show up some of the time and they are paying him a lot less now. And I mean, they can still go out and get somebody else for a rotation. So, yeah. So there are a lot. Well, speaking of that, there's a lot of really good edge rushers still out there, unless something's broken in the last ten minutes. Mentioned Von Miller, perhaps returning to Dallas. Jane Slater, NFL Network, tweeted that there was some interest there. Chandler Jones, Jadavian Clowney, Trey Flowers, Darius Smith, Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, Jerry Hughes, Chenin Wosu. I mentioned Arden Key. So a lot of really interesting options for teams to get those kind of better bargains um, over the second half of free agency um, linebacker. So a deal that was universally loved, but I want to get your thoughts on Devondra Campbell 
back to Green Bay, five years, $50 million. Devonta Campbell comes out of nowhere, has the season of his life, playing a position that Green Bay, for, for Green Bay, has been abject disaster. But it's one year. Does that make you nervous at all? Yes, it does. Because <laughs> okay. he's never he's never been thought of as a top. And he absolutely was worthy of all the accolades that he received. He's so good year. this year. So good. Um, I would be scared uh, because he's never played anywhere close. He never played anywhere close to that in Atlanta. I mean, maybe they did the film work and they were like, look, Atlanta just didn't use him correctly. And we did. And but I don't think the way he was used was that much different between the two teams. And he just came from out of nowhere and suddenly played like a completely different dude. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think like they, they know the player, they love the player. It's not actually five years, you know, but yeah, it's just, we'll see. It definitely also affects their approach to the draft, which I think is interesting, makes it easier for them to go after a receiver. So something to keep an eye on there in terms of how free agency affect remaining team needs. So we talked about Foya Olakun. Uh, who, so that also means Miles Jack is available, Alexander Johnson, Anthony Barr, Dante Hightower, Jordan Hicks, Kyle Van Noy, Leighton Vanderesh, Jan Brown, KJ Wright, and then most notably to me, Bobby Wagner. Um, that I think is a really interesting one, you know, where there's a little bit of a discrepancy maybe between perception, what we saw last year on the tape. I do think there are certain teams that could still use him. Um, He's been linked to the Chargers a little bit. I thought Philadelphia would be maybe an option. Is there any team that I'm leaving out? He's been linked to the Rams, but that makes no, no sense, sense to me, to me no because sense. they they have not spent money on off-ball linebackers at all. I think people just like the idea of him being in the same division and <laughs> facing the Seahawks twice a year, but it makes no sense with the way the Rams build their defense. What about um like the Jets? Uh, let's see. What do the Jets have at off-ball linebacker right now? They've got, um, yeah, they've got a space next to Quincy Williams and C.J. Mosley. Uh, oh yeah, I'm not. I'm. I mean, that doesn't. Nothing the Jets ex- do excites me that much. I feel like you know, they made some good improvements here and there, but it all depends on whether the quarterback matures. So you know. Yeah. I'm, you know, well, I mean it. it he would he would add something, but they already do have C.J. Mosley in the middle. Of yeah, defense. that's true. So they, don't he's really, still got... they don't really need Wagner to play middle linebacker. They've got some contract left there. Um, well, brought the Jets. So the Jets just signed another former Seahawk, D.J. Reed, three years, $30 million, $33 million, pardon me. Um, I think this is a huge problem for Seattle, but I'm going to wait until the end of free agency to freak out about the issues that they have at cornerback. But for the Jets, let's freak out together. Let's freak out together about, <laughs> about issues at cornerback. All right, we'll get to JC Jackson in a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I, really quickly, uh, the Jets, Robert Sala, DJ Reed was with San Francisco before. Makes a lot of sense. Good, solid zone corner. Uh, obviously, a huge issue, a huge need for them. I think, like, you know, definitely good to see him get rewarded. Not a crazy contract. Maybe a, a little bit more than the Seahawks are willing to pay. Um, but, the quarterback market in general, by the way, seems fairly depressed, which I find very interesting. And I think, I guess, now is the time where we can talk about J.C. Jackson, who signed with the Chargers five, five years, $82.5 million, $40 million guaranteed. So that comes in at about $16.5 million a year. 
Does that surprise you? Like, did you think he was going to make more? I mean, we're talking about a guy who's 26 years old, was very good in New England, not entirety of his career, but certainly recently. I guess I, I thought he would make a little bit more, but if the whole market for cornerback seems to be depressed a little bit, he's yeah. still coming in as the number one cornerback yeah. of this offseason, and that does make logical so sense. I mean, I think that Charvarius Ward was a little depressed too. And, and, and we talked about Carlton Jay David. Reed was a little depressed. So, you know, it, it's it did the whole market for that position came in a little lower than expected. He's still the number one guy and I have no idea how new England will replace him. And he's really wonderfully what the chargers needed because they now could play him and Michael Davis on the outside and Asante Samuel on the inside and have three really, a really nice trio. Yeah. A bunch of us were kind of going to going back and forth on this on Twitter yesterday about like, well, how do we see him in the Brandon Staley offense or defense? Part of me, you know, we're, is a question of was his value suppressed at all by like the rise of two high, but then he signed up, signed, signed with the two high team. But um, all you have to do is go back to the Rams and see the value of having a shutdown corner in that defense. Um, not saying that JC Jackson is Jalen Ramsey, he's not, but you know, a guy who's extremely good in man coverage, makes plays on the ball, uh, so much so that his tutor handle is Mr. INT. Um, it he was, makes he a, was a top sense. five corner this year. I thought I, I thought about voting for him all pro until at a certain point, AJ Terrell's charting numbers were just so off. good. You just couldn't deny but, him. But, let me ask you this as a New England fan. So I think the other question people had is, well, when players leave the Patriots, they're, it's, they're usually not good. And I, so there are some counterexamples, of course, like Chandler Jones, most notably. Um, I thought Stefan Gilmore continued to play well after leaving New England. But like, does given how lacking New England is at cornerback, were you surprised by this? And do you think it re- is a referendum on Jackson at all? This uh, the, the most of the time when players don't play well after they leave New England, it's players who are in who are older. Yeah. It's Belichick gets he gets rid of guys a year too early rather than a year too late. So, you know, Logan Mangans goes to Tampa and is not as good as he was with New England or, you know, that kind of thing. This is a guy right in the prime. This is a guy right in the prime. It is not this is not a getting, you know, letting a guy go when his time is up. So um, I, I, I don't know whether they just looked at him and said, OK, as good as he is, he's not Stefan Gilmore. We can't design our entire defense around the idea that he can shut down one side. We're going to have to go to more zone. Let's not pay him. Mm. I guess, man. <laughs> I just, oh, I'm not saying I agree with it. No, I'm it's just, yeah. I'm trying to imagine their thought process here. Yeah. I mean, well, but speaking of another man corner, or guys played a lot of man, is Javaris Ward signed a three-year deal up to $14 million with San Francisco a team that had a glaring need at corner, but also is, you know, more of a zone defense. I don't think it matters too much, frankly. Um, I think Traverse Ward can do both. I don't think he's in that David Carlton Davis, JC Jackson tier, but he's certainly an upgrade over what they have on their roster. I guess Emmanuel Mosley's okay, but uh, I think it makes sense that they address this. The other thing about the man zone thing is like, you know, all these teams do have to play man at some point, like the Chargers, they all play both. They all play both. And the Chargers for all the talk about how terrible their run defense was, they were a nightmare on third down. I don't think there's a team that plays man or zone less than 30% of the time. Yeah. So I think that it can be a little bit overrated. Um, And I like this for the Niners. 
uh, just in the same. I mean, I like all the corner signings so far. Maybe some of that is because of the value, um, because they've all signed with teams that just realized, like, what are they going to do at quarterback? But um, we should note there are still some options out there, some really good ones. I and mean, we talked about Stefan Gilmore. He's still really good. I like, I. I'll be very curious to see where that deal comes in and who he signs. Because he was an I mean, he's been linked with a bunch of teams. But, like, I think Richard Sherman was the one who said he might go west. Um, yes, Richard Sherman said that Gilmore wants to go west. So I think we'll see where that is. We'll see that. Because, you know, there are, like, so that the lesser kind of cost options, Casey Hayward, who was totally decent last year. Darius Williams had a bit of a down year in Los Angeles. Maybe still, still pretty good though. Still decent to press his value a bit. Steven Nelson, Brian Callahan, Slot, Dante Jackson, Jason Barrett, Patrick Peterson, Joe Hayden. So there, there's still some very high quality veteran Chris options. Chris Harris. Sorry? Oh, Chris Harris. Chris Harris. Um, he was not great last year. Yeah. yeah. Still out there though. I he's mean, a veteran. He's, yeah, he's a veteran. You can do things with him. I think part um, of the problem is he plays outside too much. He needs to go back inside all the time. Yeah, and there's definitely some teams that could use that. Um, all right, so wrapping up safety, I absolutely love the Mark and Will- Marcus Williams deal for the Ravens. I thought he was getting- so so five years, seventy million dollars, so fourteen a year. Um, I thought he was going to make more money. I think he's like a true young star. Clearly a need for a Ravens defense. So the secondary was totally embattled last year is they've got new defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald combination of him getting Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters back Chuck Clark. I think the Ravens secondary returns to being the strength of this team. That's been built back to front for a while. And I think this just makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Well, I love the Ravens for this year. I mean, and this is a great move for them and it fits what they want to do on defense to have that big free, you know, that, that one free safety that can play center mm-hmm. field. And yep. it, it's, you know, they're, they're in a good place. So again, it, I'm, I'm looking at these deals and it's kind of like cornerback where again, just because of the values, I'm like, yeah, sure. So like um, the Chiefs signed Justin Reed, let Honey Badger go. Justin Reed is 25. You know, he's had up and down seasons, but he plays in Houston, so I don't hold that against him. Um, just youth, athleticism, range, playmaking. I think that they can, him coupled with Juan Thornhill, I think Steve Spagnuolo can get the most out of him. Yeah, I'm, I I mean, again, I you know, I don't know what you can judge people on based on what's happened in Houston. And Reed's right. been a good, a good player for a defense that was not as bad as people expected it to be so um so we talked about players who did come back to the bucks on um, jordan count. whitehead one, yep one player who did not jordan whitehead again the jets really investing in improving their secondary um you know i still think there's well is marcus may still is a free agent right they yeah yeah okay so ideally they'd be able to bring him back jordan whitehead is more of uh you know i think like box safety uh, very physical, but I like this for him. Young, athletic, aggressive. Uh, Devin McCourty goes back to the Patriots for one year, not a lot of money, just some continuity there. Emily Cooker goes back to Dallas, two years, $8 million, not expensive. Uh, I guess the other big one is Quandre Diggs. This is a tricky one for me, Aaron, because three years, $40 million, so under Marcus Williams, over some of the other guys. I think he's a really good player. And I think he 
from what I know of in Seattle, is like the heart of that locker room now, especially with Wagner gone, which is a thing we underestimate when we talk about this stuff. I think he gives them a ton of um, versatility in their secondary, a secondary that is like, you know, continue to be an issue for them. That said, I do think there's some concern. I think it, people are right to be concerned about the fact that Seattle is now the only team with two safeties who are making more than $10 million a year. And I just, it bothers me because like, I don't want to punish him for <laughs> punish this for Jamal it's Adams. It's not his fault that it's Jamal not his Adams fault. is, yeah. All the things about Jamal Adams that you want to say are, are not Quandre Diggs's fault. That's correct. I also think it's worth saying, first of all, there's going to be some schematic changes in Seattle. They've completely revamped their defensive coaching staff. I have some reason to believe that safety is very important to them. I also think like Jamal Adams, the his skill set, you have to have a true post safety. And that is what Quandre Diggs is, in addition to being like a very good, has great ball skills. And I don't know. I don't like, I've seen mixed feelings about this. I'm glad they did it. You know, I don't like the Disney signing. Oh, they also brought back Al Woods, which I love, by the way. Super underrated defensive tackle. Um, I'm glad they did it. Still a gaping hole at cornerback for both of our teams. But I just, I still think like this, if there was, you know, like a player you want to keep around and pay market value, this was the guy for me. Yeah, it's just interesting to pay so much more to your safeties than your corner. Yes, exactly. Well, the, the thing would for me wouldn't have been don't pay Quandary Diggs. It would have been don't pay, pay you know, DJ Disley Reed. and pay DJ Reed. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. That anyways, in terms of like, whatever. Anyways, okay. So the remaining uh, safeties. Yeah, that's, I was going to say that's one thing that I can't say. I can't tell you that the Patriots spent on something this year that uh, because they spent on X, they had to get rid of JC. Well, it's all last year. Jack Mason. They just spent it all last year. Yeah, that's. The, I mean, that, and that's what's so unusual about New England. I mean, this is a. T- but before, so, by the way, really quickly, the remaining safeties: Tyron Matthew, Anthony Harris, Kareem Jackson, Landon Collins, Rodney McLeod. Matthew's the one I think a lot of people are going to be le- looking to see when that drops. Um, and sort of what kind of contract he gets, candidly. I imagine it'll be kind of in line with. You know, we talked about like not too dissimilar from Justin Reed's in Kansas City. Um, wrapping up really quickly, though. Yeah. Like, so the Patriots have been super, super quiet. Is there anything, I don't know, like you think that they need to do to fix this roster? I mean, we mentioned guys like Alan Robinson still out there, Jalen Jarvis Landry. Um, I, we've listed all the cornerbacks. Do you think like outside of attacking those positions in the draft, you'd like to see them do a little bit more? I mean, I, you know, I, I would love to have another veteran corner. Um, I think they need uh, off ball linebacker is something I think they can go after in the draft guard. I think is something they can go after in the draft. You know, I'd love to see a number one. I'd love to see a real number one receiver, but I don't know who that guy is of the people who are left. I mean, if you want a guy who's not a number one, but is a take the top off the defense guy, you could look at Marquez Valdez Scantling and apparently they are, Hmm. but um, it looks like they spent all the money last year. And the, just the weird thing about spending all the money last year is that they went out and spent all that money on two tight ends. Yeah. And then I don't have the number in front of me, but we thought they were going to go to be like a top five team in two tight end sets. And instead they were still near the bottom of the league in two tight end sets. They rarely used those two guys together. Why do you give two tight ends so much money and then rarely use them both at the same time? That's and that keeps you from things like, keeping Shaq Mason and keeping J.C. Jackson. Seattle, Patriots, handshake. 
too much money in tight ends, not in my money in cornerbacks. Well, and and handshake older, more conservative coaches. Uh, how did you we know? get here? We used to be so dominant, Aaron. <laughs> uh, God, I loved 2014. Uh, Good years. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, friend. I really appreciate it. Guys, um, you can follow Aaron on Twitter. It's FO underscore shots, right? FO um, underscore A shots, which is or just follow Football Outsiders at FB Outsiders. And every year, I say this every summer, the Football Outsiders Almanac, which comes out before the season, indispensable. Of course, send out those links. Um, but Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Next, we're going to have uh, Jenny Vrentis from the New York Times on to talk about the Deshaun Watson case. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys. So as I um, told you at the beginning of this podcast, uh, I wanted to talk about the news surrounding Deshaun Watson and sort of how it sets up this next phase of his career, of the NFL. And um, before I get to the football side of it, and I'm going to, and I'm going to talk at the end a little bit about what I, how I plan to address that, I guess. I, I wanted to have someone on to actually talk about the case and what's happened and, and someone who is actually just reporting on it because I, I felt personally like the, I'll just say it. I don't think the NFL media has done a good job discussing this reporting on it generally um, not covered itself in glory. And someone who I think has done a fantastic job is Jenny Brentis who works at the New York times previously at sports illustrated. Um, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Yeah, I mean, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Yeah. So, so Jenny, the, the big news that sort of precipitated the, I guess, shift in discussion to Deshaun Watson trade, and by the way, that could happen any day now, uh, is the fact that on Friday, a grand jury in Texas decided not to uh, advance the criminal charges. So, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson accused of couple dozen women of sexual misconduct. I believe 10 brought criminal charges. The grand jury heard nine of them. We'll talk about that. But that has you know, been a real pivot point in this story in the eyes of the NFL, uh, clearly as trade rumors, you know, which were basically put on hold for a year and put on hold a long time, actually, because Deshaun Watson wanted to trade a long time ago, before, long before any of this. Um, well, suddenly NFL teams have decided to throw their hats into the ring. Um, but before we get to that part and before we get to what happened with the grand jury and what it means, I guess I want to give the context and sort of explain how we got here, because you've been covering this story for a long time, uh, back when you were at Sports Illustrated. So the the allegations, I believe, surfaced about a year ago to this day. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Yeah, March 16th. So it's almost exactly a year, which was the timing of the grand jury was kind of wild in that sense. Yeah. But yeah, it was March 2021. The first lawsuit was filed. And I think, I don't know how you felt, Mina, but I didn't know what to make of it at first. You know, there was one lawsuit and then several more piled up. Uh, so my instinct was, let's try to figure out more about what's going on. 
Yeah, I mean, it was shocking. I think Watson at this point had a fairly spotless reputation. Um, and, and it was also confusing. There was a bit of a circus around all of it because Watson, before then, as we've, as I mentioned, you know, he made it clear he wanted out in Houston. And then these, the, the lawyer who represented uh, the first accuser and then went on to represent uh, more of them, Tony Busby, had like weird connections to Houston. He's kind of a character. And there, so there were all these like conspiracy theories about the Texans doing it, which frankly made absolutely zero sense because the Texans would not want to take their own quarterback straight value. It was bizarre. Uh, but I feel like nobody really knew what to make out of this because of the timing and then the backdrop of Watson himself wanting out of Houston. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because everything was up in the air with his future with the team. And there were a lot of questions about where did this come from? Why now? Uh, but the reality was it had been percolating below the surface for some time. Uh, and then it finally surfaced in March. You know, Ashley Solis, the woman who filed the first civil complaint against Watson. She's a 28-year-old licensed massage therapist. Her appointment with him had happened in March of 2020. And actually, immediately after that point, she was trying to figure out what to do. The very next day, uh, in a message exchange that I reviewed, one of her colleagues reached out to a veteran therapist saying, my colleague, my coworker was uh, solicited in a session by a professional athlete. And basically, she doesn't know what to do. Any advice? Mm. So, it wasn't like this had started, you know, after the trade conversations or the trade request, but that is when it bubbled to the surface. Um, before we get to that, sort of the corroborating information you're reporting, I guess we should probably recap the, or I guess try to summarize the allegations. I mean, to the best of your ability, can you kind of tell our listeners what Deshaun Watson was accused of by all of these women? Yeah. So in total, there's about two dozen allegations, two dozen accounts of Deshaun Watson turning a massage appointment sexual in a way that the therapist said they did not expect. Uh, the alleged actions raised from exposing himself, uh, touching the therapist's hand with his genitals, uh, to a few of the accounts alleged sexual assaults. Uh, of the 22 civil suits, eight of those women filed criminal complaints, and then there were two additional criminal complaints mm -hmm. from people who did not file civil suits. So that's how you get at the number, uh, about two dozen. Um, and then there were there have been some other additional accounts as well, but 24 women have made allegations either in the criminal or civil court system. So as you mentioned, you did your own reporting you know, reviewing texts, talking to not just the women who were the accusers, but also the other women they told, perhaps. I mean, what, what sort of, which is very important. I want to note this, like with, with, with these kinds of allegations, something that um, yeah, of sexual assault or any kind of, I guess, you know, he said, she said type case, something that um, the lawyers will do is go back and say, hey, did you tell anyone? You know what I mean? Like, is there an account of this? Because um, what did you, I think some people immediately said, well, why didn't they immediately go to the police or whatever? Um, so I guess first I want to ask you why you think they didn't immediately go to the police and then also what sort of corroborating information did you turn up in your own reporting? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons why a woman wouldn't immediately go to police. First of all, maybe they just don't think of 
doing so, right? Maybe that's not right. something that's on their radar. Um, many of the women who have come forward are women of color. Um, so maybe that plays into them not wanting to file a complaint with the police. I will say that in conversations I've had with some of the women, an additional factor is others have had clients that have tried to be inappropriate with them or inappropriate with them in the past. And mm. they were told that, well, there's not much you can do, right? So some right. have had experiences like that where they were basically told, hey, you know what, you can't do anything about it, so just move on. Uh, in terms of the corroborating information, and I, I think you're exactly right, Mina, that in cases of sexual violence, there often isn't the kind of evidence that we think of as evidence, right? There's not always a photo or video recording types of things. Right. I mean, first of all, massage appointments, a therapist can't even legally record their appointment with the client for obvious really? reasons. I was wondering about that. Okay. Huh, you can't record in the room. So, you know, maybe there's footage of somebody going in and out, but what's happening in the room can't even be recorded, right? So there isn't really an opportunity for huh. a lot of that kind of evidence that people expect. But, you know, I think somebody's firsthand account, that is a form of evidence. But there also is corroborating information in at least some of the accounts. And, and I only say at least some because I can only speak to the ones that I've taken the time to vet and verify. And, you know, of course, sometimes people file complaints, right? They don't always do interviews. They don't always want to talk about it. But I, I have spoken to Ashley Solis and Lauren Baxley, two of the women who filed civil suits. And I also spoke to a, a massage therapist called, we called by the pseudonym Mary, um, right after the allegations came out. And that was actually the first article that I worked on related to the Deshaun Watson allegations. And that came about because as you, as we discussed earlier, right, we didn't know what to make of this when these stories first started coming out. So I just began reaching out to massage therapists in the Houston area. You know, was this something that was well known? Uh, maybe could you even just explain to me the dynamics between a massage therapist and a prominent client, just trying to learn as much as I could. And that's how I found Mary. It was, I didn't know she'd ever worked on Deshaun Watson. Um, I didn't know what she was going to say. And we got in touch. We spoke over the phone and she told an account of how in November 2019, he behaved inappropriately to her during a massage session. He uncovered himself. Uh, he took the towel covering him off, which is something she said had never happened before. Um, she noticed him thrusting his hips on the table. Uh, and she also noticed a, a substance on his stomach that she later realized was pre-ejaculate. And uh, Mary, afterward called a relative of hers and told them what happened. I mm. spoke to that relative who remembered the details of the account down to the fact that the relative was at a stoplight uh, at a certain intersection in Houston when Mary had called her. Um, but there were also message exchanges, importantly, that, uh, again, you know, there isn't often this kind of information, but th there was. Uh, he had tried to reach out to her for another massage, not realizing she was the person he had already seen. And she told him in messages, uh, I just do massage. And she expressed to him that he had made her uncomfortable the last time. Mm -hmm. And she also had uh, text messages with the therapist who had set up the appointment for her. So this was a veteran therapist who sometimes set up other massage therapists with clients. And the person who set up the appointment, she described some of the behaviors and the therapist wrote back to her, 
whether the creepy stuff is his intention or not, he does it every time, and only one huh. other therapist hasn't complained. So Mary, it should be noted, Mary is the, the name you're using, was not part of the lawsuit. So you just found her independently. Right. Not part of the lawsuit, um, not working with Tony Busby. She had yeah. been working with a, a different attorney in Houston, ultimately decided not to pursue any legal action against him. She was just evaluating her options. Uh, on the subject of the kind of corroborating information, um, if I remember correctly, Ashley Solis, the lawyer put this out, uh, received a text message from Deshaun Watson saying, sorry about you feeling uncomfortable, according to her lawyers. That's correct. And that was dated the same day as the appointments. Yeah. Um, and then also, as I referenced earlier, there was a message that her colleague had sent the next day to a veteran therapist who actually was the same therapist who set up Mary's appointment with Watson. And in that exchange, you know, describing that her colleague, Ashley Solis, had been solicited by a professional athlete and the date lined up. It, and, you know, it was it was the incident that she later described as being Watson. So Watson has vociferally, and his lawyers have vociferally denied all of this. Um, they have acknowledged that there was consensual sex or, or claimed rather that there was consensual sex on these encounters, but denies all of their claims. I'm wondering, you know, we're talking about sort of the corroborating information to support the accuser's claims, the timelines. Um, and then of course you finding someone who wasn't part of the lawsuit H have his lawyers presented corroborating information to substantiate his argument that this was either consensual sex or, um, you know, ultimately um, just not true? That's a great question, Mina. There have been some court filings, you know, in which they say, uh, after the fact, some women said they were excited that they had worked on him, that they wanted to work on him again. Yeah. Um, those kinds of things were some of the uh, refutations they made in court filings. Uh, they also said in court filings, you know, that... Implicitly or explicitly, uh, the women consented to these sexual acts. But uh, you're right, there haven't been any specific examples submitted either in the public record or in the course of reporting that would specifically refute other than the descriptions of things like I just mentioned, you know, uh, things... Sure. Uh, therapist said after the fact um, th that was their um, filing for exculpatory evidence was some of those things. Which is, by the way, for those who don't know a lot about kind of sexual assault um, cases or generally, it's not in uncommon for um, women who have been either assaulted or harassed or whatever, victims of misconduct, to sustain the relationship in some way that is not an unprecedented thing. And that this is a defense that actually does come up a fair amount when these kind of claims arise. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that's something that's important to note. I also think I, something I really want to ask you about, I think something that people were shocked about or shocked by rather when this first came out and seems to have kind of dropped off a little bit is the fact that Watson, who is one of the most famous athletes in Texas um, and, uh, you know, incredibly well compensated NFL quarterback was working with dozens of massage therapists, even by his own admission. And I was wondering if you didn't do any reporting into the fact, and, and I guess into the question of how uncommon or common that is. Yeah, 
I think that's a really key piece of this because in the initial reporting, I did talk to a handful of NFL players about how they approach massages. And, you know, it was interesting. Some of those conversations happened before uh, Watson's defense team acknowledged Mm -hmm. that there were sex acts, but said they were consensual and acknowledged that he had worked with many of these women, but and that he had found therapists on Instagram. Um, These players basically said, I don't know anybody who gets, who has 22 massage therapists. And I think they were saying in the context of, well, these claims can't be true because nobody has 22 different therapists. Um, But isn't it more than 22? Because his his defense was like, hey, here's a bunch of women who said he's, they were cool with him. So, which sure, that's a defense, but also raises the number of massage therapists he's been working with. Totally. So yeah, it's, you're right. It's, it's over 50. Um, And so I think most players have a handful of trusted people that they work with. As you hear players say all of the time, right? Their body is their business. You know, they are professional athletes for a living. They're very careful about what they put in their body, who they work with. And so uh, certainly this is an abnormal behavior. Watson's team has said, well, it was during the pandemic. It, It was, things were shut down. It was harder to find therapists. So he went to Instagram, but even so, I mean, I asked players about this particular time, how they approached it, and, and most have a, a handful of, of regular therapists that they work with. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a big number. So um, the pivotal point sort of, or I guess from the NFL's perspective, or not, I w- let me fix that, not from the NFL's perspective, from NFL team's perspective, uh, and frankly, many people in the court of public opinion was this uh, event on Friday, the... Um, District attorney in Harris County, Texas, presented evidence to a grand jury relating to nine of the 10 criminal complaints. What happened? Right. So it was a lot of buildup for a grand jury hearing. You know, normally in a normal process, we probably wouldn't have that much buildup, but because of the stakes for both sides, right? You know, for Watson, obviously, he was hoping to avoid criminal charges and then mm-hmm. believing that would be the green light for teams to trade for him so he could resume his football career. And for the women, it was they wanted to know that the criminal justice system would take seriously their accounts of misconduct against a star athlete, a high-profile player. Ultimately, the grand jury, after about six hours of hearings, um, returned nine no-bills. So they declined to indict Deshaun Watson on any criminal charges. Uh, And those proceedings are entirely private, behind closed doors. We actually didn't even see anybody going in and out. There was clearly a separate entrance for both the grand jurors and the several women who had been subpoenaed there to be available for testimony. So we don't know exactly how the prosecutor presented the case. We don't know exactly which counts uh, she asked the grand jury to consider. Hmm. Uh, We do know uh, some of what the proceedings were like, that they played some of the video interviews that the women had done with police investigators, um, and that of the several women subpoenaed to be there, they were all sitting in a room together. Uh, Only one was actually called in front of the grand jury to provide testimony directly. How hard is it generally to bring these types of charges mm-hmm. um, uh, successfully in mm-hmm. criminal court? And I think it should be noted that none of these women are accusing him of rape. They're accusing him of um, the criminal complaints were, I think, three alleged sexual assault, 
um, which I mean, you know, I hope I'm not misrepresenting that. That's right. Yep. That's right. Uh, and then other was just like indecent exposure, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but just generally with like sexual misconduct, um, because it off- so often comes down to a he said, she said. And as you mentioned, there's no tape evidence or anything like that. Um, you know, can these cases like, I, is it surprising to you mm-hmm. that they weren't successful? Uh, just separate from, you know, this, the facts of the case. Mm-hmm. So I looked up in Harris County how many indictments there had been on these two groups of charges. So the one being sexual assault and the other being indecent assault, which my understanding is a newer charge in Texas. And I think it was introduced hmm. partly because, you know, sometimes there is you know, inappropriate conduct. There are assaults of behaviors that don't necessarily rise to the level of sexual assault, which in Texas is non-consensual penetration. So the idea was it's kind of a, a lesser charge, but all um, but it can still be used to address through the criminal justice system some of these behaviors that are assaultive. So I think there are about 25 indictments on both indecent assault and sexual assault since January. Now, I don't know exactly know how many went before the grand jury. I, I don't know the mm-hmm. statistics on that, but it is certainly an achievable bar um, for a, you know a grand jury to indict on these kinds of things. It's not like one of those uh, offenses where there, you never see indictments. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of you know a, a lot of the conversation about this. Or, or a lot of how it's handled is we, we don't exactly know how it was presented, right? And um, I think that's the downside of the grand jury proceedings being private is we don't know what the grand jury said to, or what the prosecutor, excuse me, said to the grand jurors. Um, so I think it's it's hard to make a determination on, you know, what's surprising or not. Um, and I think we know that the criminal justice system is is often ill-equipped to handle sexual violence uh, because of the fact there often is no evidence. So I think that's an important mm. thing to consider here. But one thing um, that, I, that I will say, which is information that may or may not have been presented to the grand jury, is that uh, there were search warrants filed last fall by police for things like his Instagram account um, and the cash hmm. app account he used to both book massages and pay for massages. Um, and, you know, that, that would be part of a normal police investigation to sort of confirm mm-hmm. that these events took place um, or that the massages at the very least took place. Right. Um, and in those uh, in those warrants, the police investigators who worked on the case for about a year described the 10 women who filed criminal complaints as credible and reliable. So I think that is an important piece because that is how the police who did the interviews and reviewed evidence, that is how they described the 10 women coming forward. Hmm. So basically what all we know is that the grand jury decided there wasn't enough evidence to proceed, but we don't know what they were you know asked basically like what what that what the bar was essentially for that evidence um uh, but we do know that it means that at least at this point he is not going to prison and i think that ultimately is how we get to this uh point with the nfl um where teams have now seen this decision as a green light to move forward with the trade um i think one thing that is factoring into all of this though or i guess um is relevant to that question is there's still a potential punishment looming. Um, mm. You know, Ben Roethlisberger was not charged uh, with his, uh, you know, many years ago when he was accused of rape, he still served a suspension. Ezekiel Elliott was not charged. He served a six game suspension. Um, and I, I, I remember you also reported on 
the fact that the NFL investigation made some of these women Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting um, that came up in conversations with Ashley Solis and Lauren Baxley, uh, that they felt that some of the questions were victim blaming, that they focused on their behaviors rather than his behaviors, uh, that the investigators asked them what they were wearing during the massage appointments. Um, And for people who might say, well, all of those, you know, they're trying to get information, they need to ask tough questions during the investigation. I think it's important to note that that wasn't a question or a perception that the women had coming away from the Houston police interview. So the Houston police didn't ask those questions and also didn't make them feel like they were being blamed. They said the Houston police interviews were trauma informed and made them feel like they could tell their full account. And so, you know, participating in the NFL investigation process is, is, you know, it's an optional thing, right? Uh, You have an ongoing civil process, you have an ongoing criminal investigation. So it would make sense if you said, hey, I'm not going to participate in the NFL investigation. But several women did participate in the NFL investigation and give information to the investigators. And, you know, when the league decided not to place Watson on the exempt list, uh, it had a lot of information that uh, we've talked about, Mina, like a lot of information that there there was some corroborating information uh, corroborating, mm-hmm. you know, evidence for some of these accounts. Um, but ultimately, the NFL decided not to place them on the exempt list. But now that the criminal investigation is complete, that seems to be their reason for not taking action last year. Uh, it's certainly a suspension is certainly possible. And um, as you referenced, there don't have to be criminal charges or uh, there doesn't have to be a resolution for, yeah. you know, the criminal case. Um to for there to be an NFL suspension. I guess my my last question is there's still these civil lawsuits looming. Mm-hmm. I believe Watson might be being deposed as we speak. Yeah. This week. So Today, is yeah. it yeah, so is it possible that more details about the case will come out um as these civil lawsuits proceed? Yeah. So his lawyer said he was pleading the fifth until the results of the grand jury were known. So on Friday, he was deposed and pled the fifth. And the plan was for him to waive his Fifth Amendment rights um, from this point forward. So I think teams should want to know what he's saying in the deposition, what explanation he's given, because he hasn't given an explanation to this point, right? All we know is that his lawyers say that any sex acts that occurred were consensual, but we haven't heard Watson's full account. So the deposition Mm -hmm. will be the first place to do that. And, you know, the one thing I wanted to say too, Mina is, you know, I I had somebody ask me, what was the one most egregious thing? Can you give me the one most egregious incident? Um, And I think that's been part of the problem with this whole conversation is that, I think the accounts of the women, if you take anyone on their own, maybe you look at it and you don't think it's that bad. But then you see two dozen accounts that are very similar, describe similar behaviors. And if you follow the timeline, the accounts appear to escalate over time. So in 2019 Hmm. with, with Mary, he didn't actually touch her with his genitals. But then that, you know, Ashley Solis in March 2020 says that he, you know, touched her hand with his penis. And then, you know, you have some additional accounts later that year alleging sexual assault. So I think 
patterns of behavior are important to consider. And I think discussing this as if you need one egregious incident with video or photos is the wrong way to look at it because oftentimes with sexual violence, that that's more of a myth than anything else. So taking any one part of this is, is really flawed. I mean, if you say, okay, well, the criminal decision is the end all be all. Um, or, you know, if you say, let's just take one example and this doesn't seem this bad, you know, I think teams that are deciding to make a decision on if they will trade for Watson should consider all of the facts that are out there and all of the corroborating information that's out there. And I think a lot of that points to some wrongdoing. Uh, maybe that doesn't rise to the level of criminal charges, but there were behaviors that women are describing, some of which have been corroborated, that made them uncomfortable and, and caused them trauma. And I think that we should make sure that we continue to talk about those accounts um, on, on the whole and as part of the dialogue about his football future. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Mina. So guys, before I wrap today's episode, I, I guess I just wanted to comment on this story and how I plan to talk about it on the podcast going forward. Because as we've discussed, Deshaun Watson is very likely to be traded very soon. And the reason I had Jenny on is I just didn't want to jump into the football side of it, which seems to be happening a lot, without addressing the human side and perhaps giving context. Because as I said, I feel like a lot of people still aren't familiar with the actual details of this case. And as Jenny mentioned, um, the outcome that happened, while it's not impossible to bring criminal charges, is also something that happens a lot with cases like this, where they're not settled in court, and it becomes a he said, she said, or multiple she saids in this case, and a matter of public opinion. Um, based on what I know about this league, I think a lot of people in and around it will overlook the context and concerns because of how incredibly talented Deshaun Watson is as a football player. I am, I guess I just want to say I'm empathetic to anyone who can't anyone who roots for the, the fan base that ends up trading for him because of what we've heard so far. Um, and candidly is something that I've been processing a lot because there were rumors linking him with the team that I root for Seattle. I, it seems like that's not going to happen, but um, you know, I've been processing that trying to think about what it means for the face of a team, for the quarterback to be accused of these things versus other players. It, it does feel different to me. I've had conversations with other fans who have been involved in their team or who, pardon me, root for teams linked to him as well. And I don't know. I, I understand there's probably some people listening now who don't feel that way, who disagree, who want their team to move forward. And, you know, I respect their beliefs, but I use this forum as a place to speak from the heart. And that's all I really know what to do. And, you know, I, this gives me a lot of pause and reservation. And I've, like I said, not the way it's been covered has been really disappointing to me personally. Um, that said, he was not criminally charged. And moving forward, he is going to be on an NFL team. And at some point, probably next week when the trade happens, um, I'm going to talk about that team. And I'm going to talk about the football side of this. I have done that in the past with, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, James Winston, who were accused of different crimes. And I don't know how it's going to feel. I'm going to do my best to handle it sensitively, especially in the immediate future. But I, I just want to do my best 
And if you feel I'm not, if you feel you want to hear more, um, let me know. Because like I said, I think this is really important. And I think this is a space where I hope I can speak freely about the story. So no dinks and dunks today. Um, Next week with Patrick Claibon recapping the second half of free agency. I'll talk to you guys then.